Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, welcome to the fifth episode of the Blue Note Podcast and the Believe Network. It's the one-stop shop for all things St. Louis Blues. It's episode five, meaning that it is the... It's the Bobby Plager episode. How do you go to anybody else for episode five other than Bobby Plager? It's got to be. I mean, an icon in the city of St. Louis, the late, great uh, Bobby Plager, of course, a big part of the St. Louis Blues franchise as a whole. And uh, it's great to be able to dedicate episode number five to him. Uh, Ethan Carter here with you. Mike Meyer, my co-host. Fifth episode of the podcast, moving right along here, the Believe Network. Uh, You can give us a rating, leave us a comment, subscribe, the whole whole thing. Follow our Twitter at TBNPod and uh, share the podcast as well so we can get other Blues fans involved in finding the podcast and, uh, you know, listening right along with us as we move forward throughout the playoffs, the 2022 playoffs. And it's been an interesting playoffs. I mean, the way that the Blues have played has certainly been encouraging. Uh, maybe not so much game one of the series against Colorado, but that's why we recap both games. So let's uh, start to recap uh, games one and two. And let's start with game one. I mean, it, it wasn't good, right? Um, that's one way to call it. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was just ugly. You know, they, they couldn't get offensive pressure because you can't – actually put pressure on in the offensive zone if you never have the puck and that starts with poor face-off success you know a team that was actually pretty darn well on the face-off dot throughout the season ryan o'reilly went 12 for 16 he did a really really good job but robert thomas and ivan Barbashev combined went five for 15 during game one you can't you can't expect to do that up against a powerhouse team like the colorado avalanche yeah, that's a big problem that they were that bad in the faceoff circle. Uh, it obviously improved in game two, but the the thing that stunk about this game is uh, the Blues get the first goal. O'Reilly scores early. Obviously, the backhander, we all know how good he is with that. Um, and the, I think the other encouraging thing from that game is that somehow the Blues got that game to overtime. I would say – Bennington is 98% of the reason that that happened. The 2% is the fact that Kairou scored late on the power play in the third period. But yes. uh, yeah, it's very encouraging that they got to overtime because if this is last season during that series, that's like a seven to seven to one, seven to two game. Oh, so, easily, easily. Yeah. yeah they had um, Bennington was the sole factor on why they're able to help bring that game to overtime you know, regular season, yeah, sure, they would have gotten the extra point, you know, whatever. It would have been a much-deserved point here at that at that time. But, um, you know, they had that one-goal lead here, like you said. But then this team, I mean, they just kept trucking away here from it. You know, they got the the goal from Valeri Nishushkin and the uh, defenseman Samuel Gerrard. They led the all-out just assault on the Blues between the final two periods, outshooting them 33-18. to 18. And then – even in overtime, what was it, 13 to nothing? Yeah. It was, I mean, that's, it's just embarrassing. You know, they didn't even record a single shot on goal during the, during the man advantage at all. So the Blues did a great job with the penalty kill there, but to outshoot the Blues in overtime, 
16 to nothing. It's it, ugly is a word for it. Embarrassing is another word for it. And, and boy, it's, it's good that these guys are professionals because man, that would have been really tough. I'd had a hard time going into game two, feeling like we were going to have any chance whatsoever holding up against these guys. Yeah. I think the, the main theme of game one was the avalanche playing their game, the blues not doing so and just letting the abs come at them. And the blues really did nothing to slow them down at all, which is, where the adjustments and just playing better comes into playing game two, which they did. And it was kind of the opposite. The Blues outplayed the Avs for the majority of the game. They came out fast. They were out shooting them four to one early. Um, they outshot them 32 31 in the entirety of the game. Bennington had 30 saves. So he's got 81 saves um, on 80, quick math there, 88 shots, I believe, in this series. So that seems good. Um, I think that that's a big part of the reason that they've even, I mean, 954 save percentage in two games in Colorado, you take that, especially given where he's been in the playoffs the last few years. Uh, that's big time. Uh, Barubi just continues. And I said this on the uh, hockey writers post game show last night, Craig Barubi continues to probably have the biggest impact on his team with adjustments in the entirety of the playoffs. Like he did it in Minnesota in that series after game three, Goes to Bennington, makes line changes, um, figures out how to let them be successful with a battered defensive unit. And then this time he makes a couple line changes. He gets the game plan going of, hey, we got to slow them down a little bit. Uh, we can't let them get as many high danger chances. They were successful in all of that. And I, I feel like Barubi, I, I know he's getting some love on Twitter, but man, he's done a hell of a job. Just an unbelievable job. Um, I would argue that, when Craig Bruby is done here, and I don't really care how it ends, I think we're going to look at him as probably the most impactful coach in the history of the franchise. I think that we're heading in that direction, like obviously winning the cup, but just how good they've been. Like it's a complete 180 from some of the teams that they've had with inconsistency. And I just feel like he deserves a ton of credit for where this team is right now. I don't know if you agree with all that, but. I, I absolutely agree. And I was going to say, can we park on this? Because I cannot figure out why there are fans who still consistently call for the organization to fire this man. He has had one of the most uncharacteristic tenures in, in coaching history. You know, he takes over. Okay. That's fairly routine. He was at least an assistant coach. Like at that time he had COVID, he had the bubble, he had, you know, and the, what, what do you do? Like, how can you be successful in any of those situations? And I think if you were to say, oh, he had a sub 500 success record here after that, you'd say, oh, and, and you could make any single excuse for him that he had any single, every single reason to say, I had all of the odds against me. But Craig Berube, can, like you said, continues to make all of the changes, all of the adjustments, gets the guys motivated, gets them fired up, and continues to win. So I fully, fully agree that his tenure with the Blues is going to go down as one of the top three best in Blues franchise history. So I think a lot of credit for this team this year should also go to Doug Armstrong, uh, making changes, getting Pavel Buchnevich, who has struggled a little bit in this playoffs. I know people are calling him out now, but he did have two helpers last night, but Still can't find that goal in some of the 
the plays he's made have not been great, but still a very good year for him. Brandon Saad, obviously a great veteran player. And the trade deadline, Armstrong takes a shot, and I criticized it. I think 95% of the Blues fan base criticized it, giving up what they did for Nick Letty, who did not look like himself at all in Detroit. He's been very steady, very solid. And I, I feel like I should have seen that coming. I did write about it a couple times, about he, how he would be a pretty good fit for the Blues, but yeah. I thought the price was too high. Uh, but that's why I'm not a general manager, I think, is, is kind of what that is. But anyway, going back to Baruby, 38-19-6 after taking over from Mike Yo, wins the cup. The next year, pre-COVID, 42-19-10. They were one of the best teams in the league. I think they were second in points behind the Bruins. Uh, they were terrible in the bubble, but that's just – that's an anomaly. Last season, let's be honest, last year's roster was not very good. 27-29. I know it was a lot of the same guys, but, like, they just didn't have the pop. The de- defensive unit last year was awful. The goaltending was not great. Um, it was a transition year. Yeah. You, you had a huge transition. You know, a, a number of the players saw change in roles. A number of the players just didn't, you know, was that the first season or second season without Alex Petrangelo? Uh, that was the first season. And it was also like okay. Mike Hoffman was on the team. Like that was just, yeah. let's, let's throw him a one-year deal, see what he yeah. does. And he just wasn't a good fit responsibilities change, you know, it's, it's just, I mean, and again, you don't want to just make excuses all the time, but it was a transition season, you know, and I think most fans looked at that roster and said, not great competitive, but not Stanley cup caliber. Yeah. It was year one of Tory Krug. You knew he would have a, a little bit of trouble transitioning into that. Right. Justin Falk was a big takeaway. How much better he got last season. He's carried that into this season. Uh, Pareko struggled. Um, like I said, Mike Hoffman was on the team and um, they just didn't have the same amount of, you know, I mean, Tarasenko was hurt as well and didn't look like himself at all. So that was a big thing. So yeah, definitely a transition year. And then this year, 49, 22 and 11, 109 points. They finished third in the division, which is the third best finish for, uh, for Baruby. They finished second in 2019, first in 2020, and then fourth last season, third this season. So they finished top four in the division all four years. Um, I think a big part of this, before we get into some other things for this episode, is the coaching staff. Like, I think the Blues probably have the best overall coaching staff in the game. Like, you have Steve Ott, who's going to get a job soon. Jim Montgomery, who is a very good head coach for the Dallas Stars, he's going to get another job. And then Mike Van Ryan's a hell of a coach, too. So, uh, this coaching staff as a whole deserves a lot of credit, too. I think pound for pound, I will put those four up against anybody in the league. Um, in terms of coaching staffs, because you have a head coach, a guy who's a successful head coach, a guy who's going to be a head coach, and Steve Ott, and then Mike Van Ryan probably going to get a look as a head coach as well. So uh, the coaching staff as a whole is great. It's a little nerve-wracking when you think about the fact that we do have almost four head coaches on this roster that could all be leaving within the next couple of seasons. And you don't know who they're going to replace them with because – when you brought in guys like Van Ryan, like Ott, even Jim Montgomery, like you knew what you were getting in a guy like Jim Montgomery, but boy, who do you replace him with at that point? And what does it look like? And what kind of a ripple effect does that have here on the team? Because I'm sure that Doug Armstrong is going to need to do everything possible to help keep him. But boy, it's, it's going to be tough to replace. Yeah. I, a guy who would be a perfect fit, it's never going to happen. But he would be a perfect fit, and if he wanted to do it, he probably would have done it this season, would be Rick Tockett. Uh, but I think he's going to get another head coaching job 
whenever he wants it. And he's also good on TV. So, but I know him and Bruby are, are tight. That would be a great fit to have him on the staff, but it's just not going to happen. But anyway, you know, uh, let's go back to game two real quick before we get into anything else. Uh, just David Perron. Uh, he's a blank check guy at this point, right? I mean, I not like an absurd, like 12 mil a year blank check, but you got to resign him. He scores two goals in this game, uh, seven goals in the playoffs in seven games or eight games. Is it seven or eight? eight. It's eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was quick math there. Uh, not quick enough, but uh, fifth goal of the playoffs for Jordan Cairo scores the first one. They did get some good bounces. I think the Cairo goal went off of um, Samuel Gerard's stick. And yeah. then Perron had a goal that went off of uh, Manson's stick, but making plays. And the funny thing about Perron's second goal is he scores on a two on one. And, um, Man, that would have been the first goal of the playoffs for Pavel Buchnevich if he passed it because he had a wide-open goal on the two-on-one. But Perron shoots it, gets it through. And Darcy Kemper kind of held this game in check for Colorado. This is probably a three- or four-nothing game if Kemper doesn't make some huge saves because the Blues were pressing almost all night. Now, the one discouraging thing I would say is that early in the third period, that was tough. Like the Blues, I know the Avs are going to make a push. You know they are. But I think the Blues let it happen too much. Like there's some things they could have done to limit that, and uh, they weathered it. And the Perron goal to make it three to one pretty much sealed the deal at that point. I know there's still a lot of time left, but the Blues just kind of had them where they wanted them. Um, but 60.7 percent of faceoffs were won. They go one for two on the power play. They had the five on three with Buchnevich running the point, which was interesting. Five forward power play, and that's another brilliant coaching play because. Ruby calls a timeout before the five on three. They figure that out and they score. Uh, so that was another great move by him. 32 to 31 uh, shots. And then, like I said, they, they weathered what they knew would be a storm in the final period. And I think there's going to be another storm coming to begin game three. So they're going to have to figure that out as well, because we saw what the wild did to the blues in game three. They got to figure out how to fix that and play better. But uh, who's the uh, player of the game for one and two? I don't think you can go with anybody else other than Jordan Bennington. Since starting and taking over the starting gig here in game four against the Wild, he's 4-1 and one with a 1.75 goals against average and a 948 save percentage. He has stopped 163 of 172 shots this postseason, including the 54 shots against during game one. And he's not quite, you know, getting the number of shots and the volume here as guy in uh, in Dallas, Jake Ottinger, because he stood on his head that entire series. But Jordan Bennington, I think, is the next is the round two version here of Jake Ottinger. And so without this, I mean, you're you're probably looking at a series now going back to St. Louis that is two games to none. Easily. Yeah, I don't think there's any anybody else you can pick. Now, the one guy you can make an argument for is Ryan O'Reilly, who has just been unbelievable. He scores a game, a goal in the last game. Uh, his his uh, The way that he has played against McKinnon has been really, really good, especially last night, uh, frustrating McKinnon, playing good defense against him. That was a big part of that. Um, I just think that Ryan O'Reilly has just been so good in this playoffs. I would make an argument that he's probably been as good. Well, I think early in the playoffs he's been better through the first two rounds than he was uh, in 19. Because you remember 2019, a lot of people were wondering what is wrong with Ryan O'Reilly after the Winnipeg and Dallas series. And then he turned it on. But um, he's just been off to a great start in this playoffs. So that's the only other guy you can make an argument for. 
Yeah, but it's Bennington. I mean, he's four and one, like you said. Just he's been tremendous in this series. Eighty-four saves in two games, um, pretty legit. But um, so there you have it with that. Uh, let's go to the next thing: the unsung hero for the Blues in this series, especially from Game Two. I'd go with Nico Mikola. You know, he he plays a limited role here for the Blues, and especially during Game Two, he only played fifteen minutes. But he blocked three shots. He was a plus two, five hits up against the Avalanche. I think that Barube has a lot of confidence in him, and he's a guy that's going to potentially have a big role here for the Blues moving forward. You know, maybe even just like on the penalty kill or or late here in games. But if you pay attention to the end of game two, Barube definitely showed that confidence in him. And he was out on the ice late in the game when the Avalanche pulled their goalie. And normally you would have a guy like Justin Falk, Colton Pareko, you know, Nick Letty. But the fact that he chose to go to Nico Mikola that late in the game to defend against the dominant Colorado Avalanche squad, I think it speaks volumes. I think that's a good pick. Um, I don't really know who I would go with for this because look at a few different guys. Uh, I know he hasn't really scored. But I think Alexi Torpchenko has played some really solid games. Getting uh, oh, he's a stud, stud. Yeah, two hits, two blocks last night. Yeah, and he's a guy that I mean, he can make a play. We saw him make that play for the Bozak goal in Game Six against Minnesota. Uh, just a, I mean, you talk about being an excellent skater. You just watch that guy with that yeah. big body too. So that's another guy you look at. I feel like Brandon Sod just like the consistency, like he's always steady. He's never really off of his game. Like he, he got three shots in both games to this point and he scores the empty netter. He should have had three empty netters last night. He had one that he hit the post, like the inside of the post missed. And then one that an avalanche player passed off of his skate that went right by the net. So he almost had three empty netters in the span of about 30 seconds, but he did get an empty netter, so he got a goal. Uh, he hasn't really been a point producer in the playoffs. He's got four points in eight games, but he's just been really good. And I think Baruby called him Mr. Consistent. I think that that fits. So yeah. uh, Brandon Saw is another guy you look at and just revenge series. I feel like if this gets to a game seven overtime, Brandon Saw's probably going to win it. It's just my guess. Yeah. Uh, but you never know. Uh, to go let's, back to your point here ahead. really fast here about Torbchenko. You know, if you're looking at him, like I'm looking over his last five games, up against Minnesota, um, he only played, let's see, on the eighth, he only had seven shifts and underneath of five minutes. Looking at last night's game, 16 shifts, just over 11 minutes of play. So his time here on ice has steadily increased over this postseason. And I think that speaks volumes here to his play. And like you said, just a complete unsung hero that the Blues could – I think would really push for a consistent role in that bottom six year moving forward next season. Yeah. And the other thing is like, if he wasn't playing well, he wouldn't be playing because Ruby could easily replace him and say, I'm going to throw Logan Brown in there. Or I'm going to throw Nathan Walker in there. And Torbchenko is earning his spot. And we're going to say it a thousand times. He's doing what we thought Clem Costin would do probably. I mean, Clem Costin, we maybe think would score more, than Torpchenko has, but Torpchenko, yeah. like you said, he's not playing a ton of minutes. Like 11 minutes is is good and it's increasing, but it's not a lot of time on the ice, but he's doing the right things. And you, how many times are we going to see him like 
just race to the corner and win a puck battle. Like he's so fast. It's unbelievable how fast he is. Um, For a tall, lanky dude at yeah. 6'6", 220 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. He's a he's a perfect blues bottom six player. Oh yeah. He's 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 got some skill and he can really skate, but he's not gonna overwhelm you with that offensive prowess. But he just makes a lot of the right plays. And I think he's a Baruby player, so I think it's a great fit. Uh, so the Blues tie the series 1-1, get out of that weird arena called Ball Arena. Uh, and with the tie series, you take that every day of the week. The other thing I, I want to point Pepsi out. Center. Yeah, it's such a bad I'm at the Pepsi Center. I was so upset when they renamed that. And that's a complete just total random aside. You know, it just, oh, when they decided to rename the Pepsi Ball Center. Ball Arena. It's I mean, a it could be, it could be uh, what was it? Crypto Arena and Crypto.com Arena. Yes, Little Caesars Arena. Crypto.com Arena, though, might be the worst trans. Like the Staples Center was so iconic. And then yeah. the change to Crypto. That's a tough one, but it is Stan Kroenke yeah. in Denver. So that guy, what a loser. Um, speaking of Ball Arena, real quick, the fans there, and this is pointed out on Twitter by many people chanted refs you suck about 30 times last night despite the fact that when we were on the hockey writers post game carrie collins who covers the avalanche for the hockeywriters.com said the hooking call who was the hooking call on i think it was on perron that led to the landiscott goal uh the hooking call on perron was horrendous he said it himself it was horrendous and yet they're yelling refs you suck when they miss or when they called nachuskin running into bennington for the goaltender uh, interference to get the blues of five on three. They're saying refs, you suck after that. It's like get a new bit when the calls are not like, it's a good call. He'd made no effort to slow down. So that's yeah. just so dumb. There's yeah. like, I think uh, somebody tweeted this. I can't remember who they chant refs. You suck more than go abs go. I think it was uh, carry on the pod. Yeah. I, agree. I, I think that's who we need to be able to, to have on the pod here. Discuss about this blues avalanche series. He's been, he's been a real pro. Love his stuff, and I think he'd be a great ad. We need to get him on. We will try to make that happen for sure. Um, let's transition now to the top prospects discussion because we need to talk about what these guys are doing uh, right now. A few guys because uh, the the a lot of different playoffs going on. Um, we see one of these guys up with the Blues right now, but I think it's safe to say that there's a lot of promise and hope with the last two first round picks. Um, despite the fact that they were very like, there's certain guys that are on the board at that point where people are like the, they, they've got to take this guy. Like it, it's like that in every sport. There's always a couple players that fall, which here's the thing with falling in drafts. Okay. The media perception of a draft board is not the same as a team. Like let's say for example, Jake neighbors, who we're going to talk about in a minute, is like 12th on like the athletics big board. That doesn't mean that he's going to be that high on everybody else's. So that's kind of the weird thing with falling in drafts and Bull Duke and neighbors may have been looked at as reaches for the blues, but I don't think they're going to end up being that. But uh, anyway, top prospects, what do we have? Well, and to go to your point here really fast, you know, it, it's all about a need. It's all about, you know, who's going to fit in the system here the best. And I don't think that the blues necessarily reached here you know so the first one that i want to be able to touch on here is scott perunovich many fans are familiar here with him he's currently up in the nhl he returned to play with his uh right wrist injury to replace tory krug here on the top power play unit he has three assists in five games so far this postseason all of which are against minnesota but he is looking like the real deal for the blues to come in just after 
months of not playing and to go immediately on that top power play unit is remarkable on his end. So I'm very, very interested to see what his what's going to look like here for Scott Perunovich moving forward after another training camp and a preseason to see how he looks. So I want to add a little something with each of these guys. What do we think the ceiling for Perunovich is in terms of like points? Like I feel like I feel like he's like a six to six to ten goal guy, maybe mm-hmm. more. And we're depending on where he's playing, what like ceiling, he's got to be like what a 50, 60 assist guy. I think if you were to say 50, that's that's not going too terribly crazy at this point. Um, it, I, it just always depends as well on how successful that the power play unit is running. Because as a guy who's likely going to quarterback a power play one very, very soon, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Blues manage this with Tori Krug as well and Justin Falk. But Scott Perunovich is looking real good, and he's going to need and demand that playing time here on the special teams. And I think that he can be able to help really successfully manage everything. So, I mean, 40, 50 assists, I don't think is completely out of the question here for a guy like Scott Perunovich either. I would agree um, for sure. All right, next guy. Zach Balduke, 19-year-old forward. He's currently playing with the Quebec Remparts. He has uh, six goals, eight points in six games in the postseason here so far. He is actually leading his club right now the uh the club itself um i'm sorry he was the 2021 first round draft pick for the blues 17th overall he puts a ton of shots on net he is a huge huge power shooter he's averaging four shots per game right now in the and scored 55 goals here during the regular season he's got a powerful powerful shot with a bevy of confidence here for him he's a threat to score Anywhere on the ice, if you're looking here at him, um, he's got the potential to be able to score any single type, you know, and develop into a really high end NHL skater. And after taking a four to one victory here last night for the REM parts, um, and for those who are following or who aren't following here right now, the REM parts are actually up in their series in the quarterfinals um, here with game four tonight and game five here on Sunday. So I'm very interested to see what Balduke is going to be able to, to bring here for the Blues as well. Yeah, there was – in that draft last year, there was three guys that I wanted at 17 before they took Bull Duke. He mm-hmm. wasn't one of them, sadly. Um, Chaz Lucius, who the Jets drafted at 18, was a guy that I wanted, uh, played for Minnesota. Um, I also thought that Fabian Lysel, a right winger mm-hmm. uh, from the WHL, drafted by Boston at 21, was somebody I liked. And then the guy that I really liked um, at – what number was he? Uh, and this was more so just because he has an awesome name, but he's also a good player. Uh, Mackie Samuskevich, I believe the 24th pick by Florida. He went, he went 24th overall. Yep. Yeah. I, I wanted him, but I was, I was okay with Bull Duke. Now the next draft was a little bit different because there was a guy that I was absolutely all over. I wrote multiple articles about this. I really wanted him, didn't get him, but Jake neighbors who we'll talk about next really liked what he did when he was here in the regular season early during the uh, trial period, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. He played nine games here with the blues. He was the blues 2020 first round draft pick at 26 overall. Um, you know, he played those nine games, but then he was sent back to juniors. He didn't look bad, but it was the blues who couldn't guarantee him 
that top six or even a middle six spot. I mean, he was the right move. Play. No. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, the next day, I believe, after he went back to the Oil Kings, he was named captain. He scored 17 goals, 45 points in 30 games. And unfortunately, he missed 14 games due to an upper body injury. Um, what's impressive here to me, especially, is that he only had two games of regular season play to get back into form before the playoffs started. And now he's in the WHL playoffs. He's got one goal, six points in eight games. You know, he's roughly within that top 10 here right now for the Oil Kings. But again, suffering from that upper body injury and coming back, it takes you a little bit to kind of get back into that groove, you know, especially jumping right back in here to the playoffs and the WHL. I mean, that's, that's, you know, nothing to sneeze at here. So um, the oil Kings are currently undefeated in the playoffs and they're getting ready to take on the Winnipeg ice starting tonight. And neighbors, I I think is a player that, that blues fans are really going to like, you know, he's not going to be a top line forward for the club. He's going to impress you with a middle six presence. He can compete. He's an effort-based player. He is that hard-working blues player. He's not huge, 5'11", 195 pounds. He'll probably still put on some pounds. He is very strong on the puck. He's not overly fast, but he's still quick with the puck. He's very, very good. First man in on the forecheck. And personally, I would love to see him get some mentoring from a guy like Braden Shen. Because it seems like body style, play type, these two could get together real well. And a guy like Jake Neighbors, I, I don't think it would be out of the question to say that he could be a repeat of Braden Shen or maybe even just a Braden Shen light. Yeah, I agree. 100%. 100%. Um, really like what we saw from him. Uh, I think he, he'll be a really, really good fit for the Blues. That being said... There's two guys I wrote about that I wanted in this draft and another one that I liked as well. Uh, Maverick Bork was one that I liked, didn't write about it. Dallas took him 30th or 31st, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote about this guy more than any, Ryan O'Rourke, defenseman who's taken in second round by Minnesota. I really, really wanted him uh, in the first round, didn't get him. And then the other one was a Helgi Granz. Mm-hmm. another good defenseman LA took him in the second round, but those are the guys I wanted. I really wanted a defenseman in this draft, but perfectly fine with neighbors because when you look at it, it's like a perfect fit stylistically. Now I think a lot of the times when you're drafting, you want to make sure that the guy fits and it's a good spot that you need. But also I think there's come certain points where when the talent is just overwhelming, you just got to take it. And I think that's something that you can make an example out of in every single draft. Like right. for example, Atu Rati. Ratu Ratu, I guess is how it's pronounced. He was supposed to be the first overall pick for a long time in last year's draft. Falls what, second or third round of the Islanders. And at that point, the Islanders are probably sitting there thinking, well, I'm, I'm not sure we need another you know, forward, but we'll take this guy because he was literally the number one guy for a long time. So sometimes the talent is overwhelming. But with a guy like Neighbors, it's just like he's going to fit here. And he had two points in nine games. He's going to fit here. I, there's no doubt. He kind of reminds me of Bacchus sometimes too, you know, just that, that hard, hardworking kind of guy, you know, he could potentially end up playing on the first line, you know, maybe even being a captain here one day, but I, I don't think it'd be out of the question to see him be very, very much so a Bacchus-esque type player. And I, I think if you tell Blues fans, hey, Jake Neighbors is going to be the next David Bacchus, we'll take they're going to say, sign me up. Yep. No doubt. All right, let's uh, move forward here to the 
Springfield Thunderbirds, who have really been like a, I mean, they've, it seems like they've been a wagon pretty much all year. I mean, this team has been very good. Um, they've gotten really good goaltending as well, and now they're starting to uh, do it in the playoffs. Yeah, the T-Birds, they're on their way. You know, they're, uh, they just entered into the third round of the Calder Cup playoffs. They swept the Dunder Mifflin Scranton Penguins. They became the, uh, I guess, the Scranton Stranglers here at this point now. So um, their next opponent is going to become the Charlotte Checkers, the minor league affiliate for the Panthers and the Kraken, which, quick aside, I'm glad that we are not the only team who has ever had to share a minor league yeah. affiliate or just be out of minor league affiliate because, boy, that's gotten real annoying. Yeah. So um, Sam Anas, two goals, seven points in three games and, and all of these guys, you know, they've all played three games. And so I'm not going to just keep repeating here. Three games, three games, Matthew Pekka, two goals, six points, Mackenzie McEachern, sorry, Stanley cup winner, Mackenzie McEachern, two goals, five points, Dakota, Joshua, two goals, three points. And our boy, Clem Costin, one goal and two points. I'm kind of surprised that Sam Anas or Anis or however the hell you pronounce his name hasn't gotten a look at all. Like, I thought that the Blues would have called him up at least once, considering they called up Pekka and a couple mm-hmm. other guys. But uh, he's been, like, a really, really good AHL point scorer for a while. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, that may end up also going into the style of play here for him. You know, I haven't gotten the chance to watch him a whole heck of a lot, some highlight um, reels here for him and some um, some game recaps. It may just depend on the role that he needs to play. You know, because if the Blues are only going to have the chance to really throw him into a bottom six role, same thing like Jake Neighbors. It's it's not really a role that's going to fit and suit him. And so if the Blues had some place to put him into a good offensive style, then yeah, maybe throw him into there. But if you're going to only put him into a bottom six, it's it's just not going to suit him. Yeah, he's only 5'8", um, but like 70. So Walker. Fair. Uh, Nathan Walker's, I think the, he has the benefit of like, he's been good here in like every situation. Um, but like 61 points in 70 games in 2018 for Anas or Anis, uh, 70 points in 63 games in 2020. These were, those were both with the Iowa wild. And then, uh, for Utica last year, when the blues had to share with, uh, Vancouver, mm-hmm. 23 points in 23 games. And then he's got – he had 64 points, 75 games this year. So just like a very elite, um, undrafted player in the AHL. Played at Quinnipiac, of course, uh, from Potomac, Maryland, home of the Wells Fargo Championship. Any golf fans out there? Well, I was home of it this year, of course. But uh, this is a very good AHL team. Like they got some some guys who have been impactful in the bottom six in when, when being up with the Blues and goaltending as well. Joel Hofer, Charlie Lindgren pretty good when Joel Hofer has as many goals as Clem Costin and and I, I don't want to get on the whole huge you know dogging on Clem Costin kind of thing but when Joel Hofer has as many goals as Clem Costin it's kind of sad but he's looked real good he, you know he's only played one game um Hofer 2.01 goal against average and a 944 save percentage and old Charlie Sideburns Charlie Lindgren, two games with a 350 goals against average and a 916 save percentage. They're they're looking good, you know. And both of these guys, um, I would say more so Charlie Lindgren than than Hofer here at this point, could potentially be the Blues backup goaltender here going into next season. 
But, you know, I, I think I would be a little confident here with either one of those options. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, going back to Costin real quick, what do you think the percentage chances that he gets traded this summer? I think it depends on the trade offer that is being presented here more so than anything. But as a standalone, just moving Clem Costin chance, I think it's maybe like a, I put it 30%. I think the Blues organization is still trying to see what they have in him. Um, but after he has, not performed here so well at the NHL level and so far at the AHL level and looking like he has been a somewhat regular healthy scratch at times. You know, it's, it's not looking good here for him. I I could see him once his contract here is up with the blues. I, I honestly could see him exploring the KHL route and just, and just go into Russia and more than likely he's going to tear it up in Russia um, he could potentially go to like a Swedish league and and just do very, very well just over in Europe. But for whatever reason, he just cannot get it done in, on the smaller ice in, in the North American professional leagues. Yeah, we'll see what happens with him. Uh, let's move along here to games three and four at home. Series tied one to one. Simple question. What do the Blues need to do to be successful at home? You don't want to say whatever you did in game two, just do it again. Cause the abs are going to, they're going to make some adjustments. You know, they, they have a strong sense of, boy, I'm trying to find this quote here. It was Nathan McKinnon. And he said that they will their wins and said, the reality is that sometimes you're going to play really well and you're going to feel like you deserve to win, but you don't. And talking about game one, he said, tonight we were a real resilient group there. We felt like a lot felt like a lot like game two at home. And over time, we were just stressed. We kept playing, kept playing. We created a lot. Fifth victory, man. They're going to be a tough team heading into St. Louis. No doubt about it. Jordan Bennington's going to need to be on his game. And the Blues are going to need to make sure that they are on the face-off circle again, managing their game. And I, I have said this time and time again, the Blues just need to play their game and keep it simple. If they keep trying to make too many pretty passes, keep trying to, to fake some guys out, you know, it just it's not going to work. Because the abs are way too good and they're going to see right through it. And if they keep it simple, get the pucks on net, keep crashing the net here just like they were doing against Minnesota – I think they'll be successful. Yeah, I think just trying to control the pace of the game again is going to be very important, and they need Bennington to continue to be what he's been, which is elite and um, timely goals. I think scoring the first goal is always important, but a lot of it's depending on how you play after you score the first goal. The Blues didn't play very well after they scored the first goal in game one. They played much better when they scored the first goal in game two. So just continue to do that. And the other big thing is weathering the early storm that you know is coming from the avalanche. Um, and they just got to figure out how to keep the puck out of the net at that point early um, and trying to control the game in some way. So we'll see. Hopefully they can feed off of the atmosphere there in St. Louis Saturday night, standalone game in the NHL playoffs. I believe it's on TNT as well, uh, which TNT is 
dominated ESPN in coverage. Like ESPN's been okay. It's been a little bit disappointing, but TNT's done a great job. So to be on there again is always great. Have Darren Pang on there as well. A big deal for Blues fans, of course. So do you have any other comments on games three and four? No, I mean, I think that the Blue, the Enterprise Center is just going to be up and rocking, and I think the Blues are going to be able to feed off of that. That's a consistent environment. I mean, even if the Blues are down by one, down by two, that place is always rocking. And especially in the playoffs, I don't think you can ever be able to count the Blues out at home. And, and the Blues, again, keep it simple. Can we please, 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 just whatever good vibes we need to be able to put out into the universe, get a goal from Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich. Yep. We need to get these guys going. Yep. No doubt about it. All right. Well, that will do it for us. This is the Blue Note podcast on the Believe Network. You can follow us on Twitter at TBN Pod, tweeting during the game and such, uh, you know, period recap videos continuing throughout the playoffs. Uh, You can follow myself on Twitter at Ethan Carter SW. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Danger Powers 19. All right, make sure to rate, follow, subscribe to the podcast, the whole thing, all the podcast platforms. And uh, this is the Blue Note Podcast, the Believe Network. We'll see you next time for episode number six. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.